In my neighborhood, if you were to walk around about 6 o'clock in the morning, most mornings, you would find three guys walking. Let's call them Mo, Larry, and Curly. So we got Lil Mo, Larry, and Curly, uh, otherwise known as Sean, Joel, and Brandon. Uh, we, <laughs> I'm Mo. Why I ought to. Anyway, um, so, uh, and Brandon is Curly. We'll, we'll never, never mind that. Uh, so Mo, Larry, Curly walk around the neighborhood every morning about 6 o'clock in the morning. We go for a walk every day just about. And uh, we walk about... Um, uh, for anywhere from a mile and a half to two miles. It's good exercise. It's good conversation. We talk about our families. We talk about church. We talk about life. And uh, we just enjoy each other's company uh, most mornings, most mornings that we walk. Uh, and it's just a really good time to get out there and get some fresh air and, and uh, get the heart pumping a little bit. So that's what we do most mornings. And, and in our neighborhood uh, where Brandon and I live, uh, he lives on J Street. I live on Arbogast. And uh, in our neighborhood... Um, there is a house that is being remodeled. And it's been under the remodeling process for about two months now. And so we walk up J Street, and it's in the 200 block of J, and we're walking up the 200 block of J, and we pass this house every time. And this house started off great. I mean, they tore off the siding. They took out the doors. They're, they're replacing windows. They're doing all this work on this house. There's a big dumpster out back, and they're putting trash in it and stuff. And like I said, for maybe two, two and a half months, this has been going on. And uh, like I said, they tore off the siding, and, and uh, they repaired the, the wood, uh, and then they wrapped the house in that Tyvek wrapping from DuPont. You know what I'm talking about? So they wrapped the house, and they did that probably about a month and a half ago. And if you were to walk by this house, on any given morning, you would see that this house is still wrapped, but it's not sided. The grass is overgrown, and it doesn't look like any work has been done on the house in about a month or a month and a half. And it makes me wonder why. I mean, they started off so great, and they were tearing off the, the siding and, and replacing windows and stuff like that. And, they were, and I wonder, did they run out of money? Or did they run out of time? Did they get distracted? Did they get onto a new project? Uh, did they not plan out this project well to the point where it was like, okay, uh, we're going to do this, we're going to take this step, and then this is our next step, and this is our next step. And, and it just made me wonder, did, did they not plan it out? Did they not estimate the costs correctly? What is going on with this house that is unfinished? The rest of the neighborhood looks pretty nice. Except this one house that is torn apart. And it makes me wonder why. What happened? And as I think about this idea, about this unfinished house, this house that was started, the project that was started, the remodeling that was started, as I think about this house, I think about our lives as Christians. I think about us. And I think about the projects that we start, or even the journey of faith that we've started. I think about what it means to follow Jesus. And are we, as his followers, as his disciples, are we estimating the cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Are we counting the cost? Have we estimated what it may cost us to follow Jesus? 
wherever he goes, wherever he leads us, have we thought about what it may cost us to follow the Lord? Because it may cost us a lot. question I have for you today is, are we willing to give up everything to follow Jesus, no matter what it may cost us? Are we willing to give up anything to follow Jesus, no matter what it may cost us? These are tough questions, and we're going to deal with those today. This idea of what it means to, to make Jesus number one, and this idea of can we afford it? Can we afford what it costs to follow Jesus? Like I said, there's this house in our neighborhood that just is in disrepair, and it's like they started the project, but they couldn't quite finish it. And in my life, and in your life, in our lives, have we started a journey of faith that we can't finish because of what it may cost us? Because we haven't counted, counted the cost, that we haven't estimated the cost of what it means to follow Jesus? That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we are in the book of Luke, and we are looking at the short stories Jesus told all summer long. And uh, Luke was a historian uh, who was commissioned to write the story of Jesus and he was commissioned to write the story of the early church. Luke wrote the book of Luke, the one that bears his name, obviously. And he interviewed people, uh, and he researched, and he studied. Uh, he did the research in order to find out who Jesus was and, and what Jesus did. And then he wrote a gospel. He wrote the gospel of Luke. But he was also commissioned to write the history of the early church. And Luke also wrote the book of Acts. How many of you knew that? Luke not only wrote the book of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And he was commissioned by a man named uh, Heropolis. No, not Heropolis. What's that? Theophilus. Thank you, my dear wife. She, she went to Bible Bowl. I did not. But Theophilus commissioned Luke to write the book of Luke and the book of Acts uh, and this history of the early church, the history of Jesus. Uh, and so we're going to look at the story. Uh, we're going to look at two parables today. And we, that's what we're looking at this summer is the parables in the book of Luke. Uh, and a parable is just a short story uh, that talks about big truths. So it's a short story that talks about big truths uh, and such as truths about God, truths about faith, truths about uh, what it means to be a disciple. And a disciple is just someone who is a follower, someone who follows a teacher or a master. And Jesus, as Lord and Savior, is not only our teacher, he is not only our Savior, but he is also our master. And we as are called to be his disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, uh, Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make followers of all nations. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, we are taught to obey all of his commandments. So what does it look like to follow Jesus in the 21st century? What are his expectations of us as his followers? What are his expectations of his disciples? That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, this is the fourth message in this series. Uh, we've looked at parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan and saw how that uh, the people that, uh, who are called to be our neighbors, the people who are our neighbors are the people that we may not even like. The people that we despise the most are, are our neighbors. And we are to love them as we love ourselves. 
Uh, We also looked at the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin and how lost things matter to God, lost things are valuable to God, and that he will go searching for lost people. And then he celebrates when they are found. And that's what we want to do is when lost people get found, we want to celebrate. And then last week, we talked about the parable of the prodigal son, the story of the lost son, and how no matter where you've been, no matter how far you may have wandered away from God, you're always welcome back in his arms. You're always welcome back in his family, that you're never, ever too far gone. Today, like I said, we're going to talk about two little parables, two little stories that talk about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of his. So if you've got your Bible, if you brought a Bible today, turn to Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you, and it is on page 739. Page 739 of the Bible in the chair in front of you, or as always, you can use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet. Uh, we recommend Version or Bible Gateway, and uh, those are apps are available at the iTunes Store or at the Google Play Store, uh, and they're free, which is great. Uh, so uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. We're going to take this uh, passage in four sections. Uh, the first section is probably the hardest, because what Jesus says and now he's walking along, he's got people following him, and he's telling stories, and, and, uh, and then he says this, verses 25 through 27. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, now imagine this scene. You're following behind Jesus, you're, you're listening to him teach, and you're just walking behind him, and all of a sudden he turns around, and then this is what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Surely Jesus doesn't mean we're supposed to hate our parents. Teenagers, you're not allowed, Jesus is not telling you to hate your parents. All right, I know that it's tempting Uh, And I know that it comes naturally uh, for a teenager to hate their parents. But honestly, Jesus is not telling you to hate your parents. And parents, likewise, he's not telling you to hate your children. Uh, And spouses, nope, he's not giving you permission to hate your spouse uh, or your ex-spouse for that matter. Um, Jesus is not giving us permission to hate people. And because this sounds really weird, doesn't it? It's like, why would he say, uh, if you don't hate your parents, or if you don't hate your children, if you don't hate your brothers and sisters, if you don't even hate yourself, you cannot, cannot follow me, he says. Is that, does, it, does he really mean that we're supposed to hate one another? And, and, and when Jesus says, I mean, we're supposed to love our enemies, but hate our families? That doesn't make any sense. Jesus is talking about the relationships in our lives, the most important relationships to us, our relationships with our parents, our relationships with our children's children, our relationship with our spouses, our relationship with our brothers and sisters, and even our relationship with ourselves. And so Jesus is talking about these relationships, and what he is actually saying is that there's a relationship that has to come first. There's a relationship that has to be primary. There's a relationship that has to be number one. Jesus wants, no, Jesus demands to be number one. He says, if you're going to put any other relationship ahead of me, you're not worthy of me. If you're going to love anyone more than you love me, you're not worthy of me and you cannot follow me. Because what it takes to follow Jesus, the demands that he puts on us as true followers of Jesus Christ, 
What he calls us to do is to put him first and foremost in our lives. And that's hard because that involves a cross, as he says in verse 27. It involves a cross. That if we do not take up our cross and follow him, we cannot be his disciple. If we do not take up our cross daily, we cannot follow Jesus because Jesus commands the cross for all of his followers. Now, the people around Jesus would have been very familiar with the cross. The Romans were very good at execution, and they, it, Jesus wasn't the first one to die on a cross. They executed people long before uh, Jesus uh, was crucified. Uh, it was a way of not only publicly humiliating people who were against the, the state, uh, uh, against the Roman Empire, but it was also a way, and, and it was also a way of keeping other people from doing it. So it was public humiliation for the criminal, and it was good motivation not to do it for other people. But Jesus says, unless you're willing to take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. That's a daily death, a daily dying to follow Jesus. It's a daily sacrifice to follow Jesus. It's a daily crucifixion of yourself to follow Jesus. Man, that's harsh, isn't it? I mean, that's tough. I'm supposed to hate my family. I'm supposed to hate my wife, hate my kid, hate my parents, hate my... No, what it means is that Jesus has to be number one. And anything else that gets in the way is an idol. Anything else that gets in the way is idolatry. In the Old Testament, the very first commandment, you shall have no other gods but me. That's what God said. No other gods but me. No idols. And anything that gets in the way of your relationship with Jesus is an idol. And idol worship is forbidden. And we have all kinds of things that get in the way, don't we? We have all kinds of things that get in the way of Jesus. And some of them are good things. Some of them are good activities. Some of them are good, are good things that we do, even for Jesus. There are things that we do that when, when we're busy for Jesus that get in the way of our relationship with Jesus, that get in the way of a loving relationship with our Savior. We're so busy at work, we're so busy at school that we don't work on our relationship with Christ. And we make work number one, or we make school number one. Or we make our activities, our extracurricular activities, number one. We make our kids number one. We worship our children in this country. We absolutely worship them. Jesus has to be number one. That's what he's saying. And then he gives two parables, two little illustrations of what this looks like. Let's look at the first one. Verses 28 through 30. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Now this tower that he's talking about is a watchtower over a vineyard that you would set up, you would build a tower in order to watch over your vineyard to keep bad people out. So this watchtower, he says there's a fellow who's going to sit down and he's going to think about what it costs to build this tower so that when he actually builds it, he's able to complete it. Remember the house on J Street? It looks like they didn't estimate the cost of what it takes to build, the, the, to re remodel the house. So 
when it comes to following Jesus, he's saying you need to sit down and estimate the cost. You've got to figure out, what am I willing to pay? What am I willing to give up? What am I willing to sacrifice? What am I willing to do in order to follow Jesus? That no matter what he asks of me, I'm going to make him number one. Can you estimate the cost? Can you think, if, if persecution were to break out against Christians in America, like severe persecution, would you be willing to follow Jesus even if it cost you prison time, even if it cost you your life? Is Jesus number one? Are you willing to follow him no matter what? No matter what happens, no matter what comes down the pike, are you willing to follow Jesus no matter what? This is what he demands, is total surrender and full-hearted devotion. Are you able to finish what you start? When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you believe in him and repent from your sins and confess your faith and get baptized, you begin a journey of faith with Jesus that will never end. You will, it will live on, your relationship with Jesus will live on forever and ever and ever. But in that moment, leading, in those moments leading up to that time, have you counted the cost? Have you thought about what it may cost you to follow Jesus and to be completely devoted and sold out and surrendered to him? We have to count the cost, just as a landowner would build a tower. And then Jesus gives a second illustration, and this is about an enemy. This is interesting. Uh, verses 31 through 33. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Again, he uses this word, cannot be my disciple. Fascinating. So we have a king who's outnumbered two to one. And he has to sit down and think, okay, what are my chances of defeating my enemy if I'm outnumbered two to one? They've got bigger, they got bigger tanks. They got better weaponry. They got more people. I'm not going to win this fight. And I'm probably going to lose my life as well as, I'm going to lose my kingdom as well as my life. So what does he do? Instead, he considers the cost. He considers the, the damage that can be done. And instead, he sends a delegation to bring about peace with his enemies. And what Jesus is talking about is what it takes to be a friend of God. That if you're going to live any other way than, uh, than full-hearted de devotion and total surrender to Jesus Christ, then you're an enemy of God. If you're going to live for sin, you're an enemy of God. If you're going to live for yourself, you're an enemy of God. Consider what Paul said in Colossians 1.21. He says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. When we are living in sin and when we are sinful, sinful, sinful people, before we come to Christ for salvation, when we have sin in our lives, we're living as enemies of God. But when we come to faith in Christ and we get baptized and God washes away our sins, then we are made part of God's family. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are made friends with God. Consider the cost, though, what it means to follow Jesus. And, and in Philippians chapter 3, uh, Paul wrote that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Do you want to be God's enemy? Because there are many who are. There are many, many who are enemies of the cross of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I don't want God to be my enemy. (laughs) He's bigger than me. A lot. He brought me into this world. He can take me out. I don't want to live as an enemy of God. I want to live as an enemy of Christ. And so what it requires of me is that I sit down and I estimate the cost of what it means to truly follow Jesus and make him number one. Finally, Jesus closes with this passage here. Verse 31 and, uh, verses 34 and 35. It says, Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that seems like it doesn't have anything to do with following Jesus, but it has everything to do with following Jesus. And that is, is that uh, salt was used for several different purposes in the ancient world. Uh, fertilizer, it was used for uh, starting a fire. It was used to season and preserve. Just kind of like we used to season our food today. They used it to season their food. But if, you left, if salt got wet and it, uh, the water evaporated out of it, the salt would no longer be salty. And it wasn't good for anything. You couldn't do anything with it. Instead, it was just thrown out. And what he's saying here is that unless we fully surrender our lives to Jesus, unless we fully surrender our lives to him, then we are of no use to him. And God wants to use us. Jesus wants to use us in his kingdom to bring about life transformation. In a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about a, a vision that we have for our congregation that, uh, that what we want to do is we want to reach people who don't know Jesus Christ. And we're going to call for all hands on deck to follow and to fulfill this vision that we have that in the next five years we want to reach 1% of the the population of Griffith and Highland who don't have a church home. That's 300 people. We want to reach 300 new people in the next five years. And maybe you're sitting, sitting there thinking, man, that sounds really hard. I mean, that would double the size of our congregation. And it would. But just think about this. The size of our congregation now is double the size it was four years ago. And it's because people have gotten serious about the vision and the mission that we have of helping people follow Jesus. And that there are people who don't know Christ. And if they were to die today, if an atomic bomb were to land on Griffith, Indiana, there's a lot of people who would not go to heaven. And I don't know about you, but I can't let that happen. And so I want to commit myself and I want to commit our church to reaching people who don't know Jesus Christ. That's our purpose, that's our mission, that's our vision, is to reach people who don't know Jesus yet. And we've got to give them that opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we've got to do. And what it requires is full-hearted and total surrender and devotion to Jesus Christ. So I've got a couple questions for you before we close up this morning, before we finish up. I've got a couple questions. Uh, first one is, what do you have to give up to make Jesus number one? What is in the way of making Jesus number one in your life. And there's some practical ways that that I want to look at this. First, uh, is Jesus number one in your work or school life? Is Jesus number one in your work or school life? Do you see yourself as a student who is devoted to Jesus or as an employee or as a manager who is devoted to Jesus? Uh, Is Jesus number one in your work or school life? Are you uh, working for the Lord? Uh, the Bible says that we should do everything uh, to the, uh, that we should everything we do we should do for the glory of God. And that we should work at it with all of our hearts, as working for the Lord rather than for man. That everything we do we should do for the glory of God. 
Is Jesus number one in your work life or your school life? And how is that manifested? Are you using your, your job or your school uh, as a place to tell other people about Jesus? Are you using it to, to show a good example of what a Christ follower looks like? The second thing is, uh, is Jesus number one in your home life? Are you leading your families well? Moms and dads, are you leading your family well to, uh, are you doing, uh, are you praying with your kids? Are you praying with your spouse? Are you praying uh, with your parents, teenagers? Are you praying at home? Are you reading your Bibles together? Are you doing devotions together of some kind? Are you talking about your faith? Are you talking about your faith with your kids? Are you talking about your faith with your spouse? Are you encouraging your children and your spouse to follow Jesus more and to make him number one? Or is church just an afterthought? Is, is Jesus just an afterthought? Oh yeah, we go to church on Sunday morning and then we kind of forget about him the rest of the week. Nope, Jesus has to be number one or we can't follow him. Finally, is Jesus number one in your church life? Are you so busy with activities at church that you've forgotten about Jesus? Because that'll happen. It happens to me. That's one of the toughest things about being a pastor, I'll tell you right now, is that I get so busy for Jesus that I forget to work on my relationship with Jesus. I'll confess that. I need to do better when it comes to making Jesus number one in my church life. And like I said, it may sound strange for a pastor to say that, but it's absolutely true that it is so easy to get so busy for Jesus and to, busy, to be so busy doing things for Jesus that you forget about Jesus himself. And so and maybe that's you. Maybe you've gotten so busy working at church or working in the church that you've forgotten about Jesus. Now, I'm not telling you to stop working for Jesus. I'm not telling you to stop volunteering or serving. I'm just telling you that you've got to sit down and consider the cost of what it means to follow him and what it means to make him number one. Not his activities, but Jesus himself. Second question I have for you is, have you counted the cost of what it takes to follow Jesus? Have you counted the cost? Have you sat down and thought, what if this cost me everything? What if following Jesus cost me everything? What if it cost me my pride? What if it cost me my job? What if it cost me a relationship that is not pleasing to the Lord? What if it cost me a friendship? Am I willing to sit down and count the cost and say, I'm, I'm going to make Jesus number one. I'm going to make Jesus my top priority because that's what he wants and that's what he commands and that's what he demands. Jesus has to be number one. Remember what Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment that we love God with everything we have, that we make Jesus number one. We love God with everything. That's what it means to follow Jesus to make him number one. I love what the missionary Hudson Taylor said, and this is a, a quote that I want to leave you with today. He says that Christ is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. That's tough. Either Christ is Lord of everything in your life or he is not Lord of anything in your life. And it's no either and, uh, either or. There's, it's, it's, it's all the way. It is 100% total surrender and devotion to Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one who can save you. He is the only one who can get you to heaven. He is the only one who can give you true joy in this life. And if you're not living for Jesus, then you're living for an idol. And if we're living for idols, we're, we're, we're living against God's will. So I just want to encourage you this week. I want to encourage us all. Let's make Jesus number one. Let's make him our top priority. 
Let's work and worship him. Let's work for him and worship him alone. And let's make him number one in our lives. Can we do that? Because when we do, we will find true joy, meaning, and purpose in our lives when Jesus is number one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess to you today that we have not made Jesus number one. That we have not, we have not made him our top priority. And we confess that to you today. We ask that you would forgive us of this. For Jesus says that he has to be number one or else we are not his followers. We are not his disciples. So help us this week, Lord. Help us this week to make Jesus Lord of all. Help us to make him the Lord of our homes, the Lord of our jobs, uh, the Lord of our church, the Lord of our lives. Help us to make Jesus number one. And may you be pleased. May you be honored. Thank you for the faith that you give to us. And thank you for, the, for the, the, the fact that Jesus died for our sins. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to live lives that are worthy of him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Our song of response today is called, Lord, I Need You.